In the sermon this morning, I really have one question that we're going to answer together. And it's a question that everyone wonders. Um, It's a very important question, and here it is. Can God really use me to accomplish His purposes in my life? Can God really use me to make a difference in the world around me? Can God really use me to, to touch a life so that someone points at my influence and says it's because of that person that everything changed in my life? Can God really use me? Um, We've met with many Old Testament heroes of the faith in this series that we're working our our way through. Most of them were men, and this morning is going to be an amazing look into the life of a woman of faith. Her life answers the question for all of us, can God really use me? Her name is Esther. The way God used Esther to impact the world around her, to impact eternity, is unbelievable. And as we hear her story, we're going to see how God can actually use us in the world around us to make a difference. Um, This sermon is going to be a little different for a couple of reasons, but you need to know this going into it, that most of the sermon is going to be me telling you the story of Esther. I memorized it. It's in my head. It's up here. So the whole book of Esther is like 10 chapters long. You're going to hear the whole story. All right, and I clocked it. It's only going to take us about three hours, so just settle in. Don't. No, I'm kidding. I used to tell this story to Ellie, my oldest daughter, when she was a little bit. I used to tell her this story at bedtime, so I've got it memorized. But I'm going to tell the whole story of Esther, okay? And then at the end, I'm going to take some brief time to share some applications that we have to our lives. Let's pray, and then we will hear the story of Esther. Our Heavenly Father, on this Father's Day, we want to give you all the praise and the glory. We thank you for being a good dad. We thank you that you have adopted us into your family by faith. We thank you that it's your grace poured into our lives that makes us useful to you and precious to you. We thank you that you have given us every heavenly blessing in Christ Jesus. You're a good father. You pour blessings into our lives, but you also discipline us, and you also use us. Help us through the life of Esther to see how you can use us in this world. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and turn to the book of Esther. It's really going to be more for for a reference. Um, You're going to be there, but I'm actually just going to tell you the story. We, We don't have time to verse by verse go through the whole book. But go ahead and turn there just as a reference point. Um, And as you're turning there, understand that even though Esther is located a little bit to the left of center in your Bible, it's not placed chronologically. So if Esther was put in the Bible where it actually happened in biblical history, it would be really close to the New Testament. Okay, like next to Malachi, it's like practically New Testament. We are late, late, late in the game of Old Testament history. Already God has called his nation out of Egypt and Moses led the charge. Already he settled them in the land through the judges, through Joshua. Already King David was promised a ruler would come and sit on the throne. He'd be a Messiah. He'd be a king. And and through him the blessing of Abraham would come to all of us. The Messiah was coming, right? And then Israel blew it and got exiled from the land of promise. The prophets told them it was going to happen and they kept violating the Lord's covenant and finally God kicked them out of the promised land and scattered them among the nations. Last week, Pastor Brandon took us into the lion's den and we learned about how in Daniel's day, 
Israelites were foreigners in a land and they were persecuted and oppressed. And, and still in Esther's time, most of the Israelites are in exile. But God promised to bring them back. He promised to settle them back in the land. This is the world that Esther was born into. The story of Esther begins with a party. There was a king who wanted to show off all of his greatness to all of his subjects. The king's name was, if you're reading an NIV, Xerxes. If, if you're reading an ESV, his name is uh, Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus. So, uh, man, if you had to pick between those two names, which one would you pick? Xerxes or Ahasuerus? <laughs> Sounds like a sneeze. Ahasuerus. <laughs> that, those were his names, though. He was the king. Um, to locate you biblically, uh, Ahasuerus' daddy threw Daniel in the lion's den. Darius. This is Darius' son, Ahasuerus, or Xerxes, who's now on the throne of the vast Persian Empire. First the Assyrians came and took the Israelites out, then the Babylonians came, and then it was the Medes and the Persians who overthrew the Babylonians. So it's now a Persian Empire that dominates the globe. And it was massive and impressive. Here's a picture of the Persian Empire. Uh, There's a blue box running along the frame of this picture with Here's the nations from modern day. Um, This would be the size of the Persian kingdom that this king ruled over. If If you add up all of those countries, you're talking over 20 modern nations that would fall under this king's rule. Just for a moment, fathom, if, if every one of the governments from all of these countries, Iraq and Iran and half of Saudi Arabia and Egypt and Greece and Bulgaria, all of them getting together in one place and having one king. Needless to say, this was a powerful, influential, mighty person. But his daddy really built the empire. See, he's only been in office for three years, and he really hasn't done much. In fact, even the wars, he, they didn't go so well. Um, so he's a little insecure. He decided, what could I do? Uh, he decided to have a giant party to show off his entire kingdom to all of his people. So King Ahasuerus called the greatest rulers from all over that kingdom to the capital to have a big party. And get this, the party was going to last six months long. How about that? Next time you have a birthday party, send out invitations and say, oh, it's going to start at noon on Sunday and it's going to end six months later. It's going to be the best party ever. That's what the king did because the king could do it. Six month long party in his own honor to show off his kingdom. Well, as these dignitaries arrived from all over the globe, he would show them his palaces and show them all of his construction project and show them all of his wealth and all the plunder he had taken, his father had taken, from all of these nations around the world. And, and it was only the finest dining. It says that they, uh, they, they fed all of the people and they drank out of golden goblets and they sat on silver couches. And this was luxury on display. It would boggle the mind to see all of this today. Well, at the end of the six-month-long party, King Ahasuerus uh, figured he would have one final week to, like, cap the whole thing off uh, and a a seven-day-long feast with only the inner circle of the greatest dignitaries from the land. So he got all of his, like, guys together, and they had, like, a guy party. Well, he had a queen. The queen's name was Vashti. And the queen had her own party with all of the dignitary wives, and they were off having their elegant party, and, and, 
and the men, uh, you know, were over here getting plastered together, uh, having the guy party. Well, King Ahasuerus, after six months of flaunting his own glory to all of his dignitaries, and after, uh, in the middle of this seven-day feast of culminating all of that, he thought, I've, sh- I've shown them everything, and, and my fortune, and my glory, and my, and you know what, I, there's one thing I haven't quite showed off yet. I haven't quite showed off my wife. And boy, is she good to look at. So you know what, servant, go get Queen Vashti. I just want all the men in the room to look and see how gorgeous she is. So the king's servant went and uh, just pictured this, barged into the first lady's party and said, Oh, Vashti, Vashti, uh, the king has requested that you come because he wants to show off just how gorgeous you are to all of his guy friends. Well, Queen Vasti did something courageous, perhaps foolish. She said to the king's messenger, no. Go back and tell him, no. I've got my own party going on here, and I'm not going to go to his party and just stand there and let them all look at me. And so the messenger went back and said, king, um, the, uh, the queen, she, she said, no, she's not going to come. Well, now you've got all the strongest men in the empire in the room, and, and they see that the king just, just got dissed by his wife. And all the guys are like, oh. So what do you think's going to happen? A bunch of guys in the room had one too many, if not five too many, and they're all like, oh, she can't do that to you. You've got to make a statement here. Because if she does that to you, then we're going to go back home and all our wives are going to be like, oh, you make, you make your own dinner. They're going to say, oh, you do your own laundry. They're going to start standing up to us. You've got to stop this right now. So the king rose up and he said, that's right. You're right. I do have to stop this. So he issued an edict and he made a proclamation and he wanted it to be very public, spread across the land. And his edict was this. Queen Vashti, you will never see my face again. And he banished her. Stripped her of all of her royal power. She lost her happily ever after because she took a stand and refused to do this for the king. Banished into seclusion, the king now had a vacant throne. Historians think that then he got sidetracked with some wars with Greece, which didn't go so well, but a few years pass, and then he starts to think, boy, I I sure could use a queen. I sure do miss having a queen. And so his friends and officials said, we've got an idea. You need a queen. Your empire is huge. Why don't you let us round up all of the most beautiful, available, attractive women from the land and bring them here to the capital? And then we can have a contest And you can pick the most beautiful, lovely, honorable one of all of them to become your new queen. And the king loved the idea. And so he sent his servants out into the vast empire to bring the most beautiful women from all over here to the capital so that he could choose just one of them to become his queen. This is the first ever season of The Bachelor. There's the king sitting on his throne with just one rose. Who's going to get it? He doesn't know. All the pretty ladies from the whole empire are coming and he's just looking. Now the contest, here's the way it worked. 
the women were gathered and they underwent uh, one whole year of preparation before they got their chance to meet the king. Twelve months of training. During that 12 months, they would receive beauty treatments, skin treatments, personal hairstylist, custom-tailored clothing. They'd spend 12 months in the royal spa. Now, maybe that sounds like, oh, wow, that sounds nice. 12 months of just having to go to the spa every day, full-time. Got my nails done. Got Okay, but you're surrounded by the most attractive women in this giant empire. No pressure. And the way the contest would work, you just get one chance to meet the king. And in that one chance to meet the king, you have to dazzle him. He has to know you're gorgeous. He has to know that you are honorable and respectful. He wants looks, but he wants more. Because Vashti had looks, but boy did she blow it. He's looking for the woman who would capture his heart and honor his throne. Well, as the servants went up and down the streets, a Jewish girl caught their eye. She was just a common Jewish girl. Her name was Esther. Esther did not have the most ideal upbringing. In fact, her parents died when she was young. She was an orphan, and so she was taken and raised by her older cousin, Mordecai. And Mordecai had some influence. He worked at the city gate of the capital, so it's as if he worked in the capital today and had some position, you know, perhaps in the the Congress building. He wasn't high up, but um, he had some responsibility in the land. So Mordecai raised up Esther. And the Bible says of Esther, she had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. God decided to bless Esther with legendary beauty. But here she was, just a common servant girl. And not only was she ordinary, but she was a foreigner. She was a forced immigrant. She was brought into exile, a conquered woman. Uh, didn't really share the religion of the land or the customs or something. She was just different. And she was not very likely to be picked to even enter the contest. But when the king's servants saw her, they said, she needs to be in this contest. And when she arrived and saw this sea of faces, she realized that everyone in the room was so incredibly attractive. She probably wondered, how on earth am I? Why on earth am I here? And how on earth am I going to compete in this contest? Every one of these women is gorgeous. But Something was special about Esther. In fact, the man who was in charge of the whole contest, bringing the women in and getting them ready, he saw her and he knew that there was something special about her. The man in charge of the whole contest from the first day bumped her up in line and actually gave her personal attendance to begin getting her ready for her day when it would come. There was something special about Esther. She was coached by the man who was running the contest. Now, Mordecai told her when she went into the palace, listen, whatever you do, don't tell them that you're Jewish. We don't know. In Daniel's day, being Jewish was actually a favorable thing, and many even converted to the faith based on Daniel. But new king, new regime, we don't know why, but for whatever reason, Mordecai said, it's better if you don't even say it, okay? Don't even bring it up, which means they either weren't known very well or or weren't looked at very highly. 
So Esther entered the contest. She went through the training. And then her day came. She would have one chance to dazzle the king. She would have one chance to make the king believe she was different. She was special. She was dignified. She was elegant. She was worthy of the crown. And she would bring him joy and respect and honor. She had one shot. And the Bible said that as soon as the king met Esther, even though so many had gone to meet the king before her and so many were waiting in line after her, the king, when he met Esther, stopped the contest and said, I have found my queen. Esther won his heart. It says that in the Bible, the king loved Esther more than all the women. She won grace and favor in his sight. He set the royal crown on her head and made her queen. And then... She became queen. And then the king gave a great feast. And and throughout the land, he called it the Esther Feast. He also made the day that she was crowned a national holiday in the entire land. It was called Esther Day, on which they would eat the Esther Feast to honor the new queen who had been found for the empire. This is a national holiday in her honor. The king also sent out to the entire empire a tax break in Esther's name. We just got a tax break, honey. Why? Because there's a new queen. It's the Esther tax break and the Esther feast and the Esther national holiday. How amazing. And the whole empire fell in love with her. If you think about it, it would be the equivalent of winning the Miss America pageant and becoming the first lady overnight. That's what she did. Well, things were going well for Esther. She was now a queen. Everyone knew that she was the fairest of them all. But one day, Mordecai was at work at the city gate, and a lot of business and politics happened at the gate. And uh, Mordecai overheard a few guys talking, and, and just through the murmurings, he kind of picked up that these two men were plotting against the king. And not only was this his king, but this was also his cousin's husband now. So as he overheard this, he decided he had to report it. So he went and reported this and said, these two guys are plotting against the king. They looked into it, and sure enough, these two men were plotting against the king. And so they found it out, they arrested him, and they killed these two men. And they, they wrote it down in the record books, but they, they didn't really honor Mordecai. They didn't even really send him a thank you note. <laughs> you saved the life of the president of the United States. You would think you would at least get a thank you, right, dear Dave. Can't tell you, words can't express how grateful I am. Thanks, Mr. President. He didn't even get a thank you note, and he, he saved the life of the king. Well, time rolled on. Four years passed. And after four years of Esther being on the throne, the king appointed a new official to his court. He gave this official higher honor than all the other officials. He gave him more authority, more power. He promoted him. This man is one of the most ruthless, cold-blooded, murderous men found in the Bible. This is one of the most villainous, sinful men who you ever read about. His name was Haman. Haman wielded power across this entire empire. And the people knew it. So whenever Haman would show up to work, all the people in the palace courts would fall down. Oh, it's Haman! Oh, it's Haman! Everyone get down. He's so powerful and strong and big. And they'd bow down. But the Bible says that whenever Haman would show up to the palace, there's one guy who refused to bow down. And that guy's name was Mordecai, Esther's cousin. 
And Haman would show up. Oh, it's Haman! It would fall down. And Mordecai would just stand. And he would just give him a cold glare. As Haman rode by, he would just look at him with this look. And after the days went by, Haman realized there's one guy who refuses to kneel before me. Got them all kneeling. This guy won't kneel. So he started asking questions. Who is this guy? Why won't he kneel? Well, he comes to find out that Mordecai is an Israelite. And scholars think that Haman was an Amalekite. The Israelites and the Amalekites, there's a rivalry that goes way back. Way back to like Moses. God hates the Amalekites. The Israelites hate the Amalekites. The Israelites slaughtered the Amalekites, most of them. But somehow here, this one was still alive, and, and he knew who Mordecai was. And at first, when he was trying to find out who this guy was, he wanted to kill him. But when he found out that he was an Israelite, he said, killing Mordecai will not be enough. He said, I'm going to make a statement, and I'm going to kill every one of them in the empire. And in his heart, he plotted something so menacing. He plotted something so wicked and vile and sinful. Across the whole land, he was going to kill every Jewish man, woman, and child on, on a single day, which is a problem. It's a problem for you because you need a Messiah to come into the world. And if every Israelite is killed, there goes the line of Abraham. It's a problem for God because he promised to protect his people and bring them back from exile. It's also a problem for Esther. But Haman didn't know it. So at his table, they cast lots and picked a day and wrote up the documentation. And the next day, he brought it to the king. And he said, oh, king, there's a group of people in your kingdom. You don't don't really even need to know the name of them, but they're trouble. They're nothing but trouble. They do no good for the king. They're always starting problems. and It would be best if we just got rid of all of them. Every single one of them needs to die. And you know what? I, I'll personally take this matter into my own hands. And, and in fact, O oh king, I will fund the entire initiative. And Haman, as he presented his plan to the king, said, I will personally bring 333 tons of silver to this project to make it happen. We don't know if he's drawing from his own personal fortune or if he's devoting his line item in the government budget to this, but he was personally willing to fund the extermination of the Jewish people. In today's dollars, 333 tons of silver would amount to about $24 million. Mr. President, just put this check in your pocket and authorize this and I'll take care of everything. $24 million. That's a big bribe. And the king said, do it. And so there, with the death sentence of all the Jews in his hand, a decree went out from Haman, swept across the nation, and every Jewish person heard the day that they would die. And there was mourning and weeping and fasting. And the Bible says Haman sat down and drank in delight. When Mordecai heard of the decree, he tore his clothes, which is a sign of outrage, and put sackcloth and ashes on, which is a sign of mourning. And he wept aloud, walking the streets. Esther heard that her cousin was 
upset about something and tore his clothes, so she sent him new clothes, and he sent back a message saying, no, you don't understand. She told him exactly what was sent out, exactly what was written. She said, Esther, we are all going to die. And then he said, you must do something. He said, you have to go to the king. You have to intercede for your people. He said, you're the only one who can do it. Well, Esther sent back saying, I haven't seen the king in a month. It's been, it's been 30 days. I, I don't know if I did anything wrong or if he's just busy, but I haven't seen him in a month. She said, and I can't, I can't just go there. I can't just barge in. There's, there's a law. The law is no one sees the king unannounced. There's, there's guys standing at the door with Uzis, and if you ring the doorbell, they just kill you. That's it. It's the law. No one disturbs the king unannounced. And you know what happened to the last queen because she made him mad? We don't even know where she is. I can't do it. Mordecai responded by saying this. Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Esther put down the message and she started to see her entire life through a different lens. Why did I become queen? How did I win? Maybe God put me here because he has something he wants me to do that no one else can do. Maybe God didn't just want me to have a happily ever after. Maybe I'm here to serve a great purpose. This was risky. She may not even make it into the courtyard. She may not get through the doors. She could lose everything. Be very easy for the king to find another queen. For all she knew, the thing she should do is just keep quiet, do nothing. Maybe she could survive. But Esther sent back a message to Mordecai and said, Go and gather all the Jews in the city and pray. Pray and fast for three days. Tell all the Jews in the city to pray and to fast. And I and my attendants will pray and will fast for three days. She said, and then after three days, I will go to the king. And if I perish, I perish. Wow, what sacrifice. What faith. What surrender. So they fasted, they prayed, and they cried out. And then on the third day, Esther woke up. The Bible says that she went to her wardrobe and she picked out her best dress. I mean, she got dressed up. She looked gorgeous. And she went, she went to the entryway to the palace and asked to see the king. And the king, the Bible says, was sitting on his throne. And as he looked out and saw Esther waiting in the entryway, he was delighted in her. 
He said, Esther, my queen, what are you doing here? Come, come forward. She walked past the guys with the Uzis and walked up to the throne. And the king allowed her to touch his royal scepter, which was his way of saying, she lives. And he said, what what is it that you want, Esther? You look lovely. You look awesome. What what is it that you want? And she said, oh, king, there's something I want to ask you, but not here, not now. You're busy. Can you... I'll prepare a dinner for you tonight. Why don't you come to a banquet and I'll make the banquet and, and then we can talk. Oh, and bring Haman with you. And the king said, absolutely. Esther knew the way to get to a man's heart is through his stomach, right? So first it gets all decked out. It looks gorgeous. Then she's like, I'm going to make your favorite, your favorite dinner. And the king said, absolutely. Of course I'll come. And so he calls Haman and says, hey, get ready. We're going to have a banquet tonight. It's just you and me and the queen. And Haman was so filled with delight. So filled with delight. He alone gets to go to this banquet with the queen and the king. And so that night they attended the banquet. And, and they sat down and they ate. And Esther filled them with food. And then they drank Esther and they got very comfortable. And the king said, Esther, what, what is it? What is it that you want to ask me? And Esther said, well, I, I'll tell you, oh, king, um, it, not tonight. This is a good night. Come back tomorrow. I'll make you another banquet. I'll make you a second favorite dish. And, and then tomorrow night I'll tell you, okay? She's building tension and curiosity in his heart and in Haman's heart. So she sends them away. Come back tomorrow. I'll make you more food. So they go away. The Bible says Haman went home. And he called all of his friends together. His wife, his family, his friends. Because he wanted to tell them the great news. How he alone was invited to this banquet with Queen Esther. It was just him and the queen and the king. And, and then he, he lost it and couldn't help himself. He started telling them about how amazing he is and how many promotions he had received in the last year. And, and he told them about his income and how much money he was making. And he, he told them about all the sons he had and how his... Do you know somebody like this who just flaunts and brags and you're just like, just shut up already. How great thou art. He's going on and on to his friends and his family about how amazing he is. And Oh, and Esther invited me back again tomorrow. And I get to go to another private banquet with the king. And oh, life is grand. But then Haman remembered that on his way out of the palace, when he was leaving this special private banquet, everyone bowed down before him as he went home except Mordecai. As he walked past Mordecai, Mordecai again glared at him, turned his back and refused to bow. And so as he went on and on about his glory, then he became anguished and he said, but I can't enjoy this because Mordecai refuses to bow down to me. He's ruining my best day ever. And his wife said, well, then why don't you just kill him? And Haman said, yes, yes, I should. And his wife said, have a, have a gallows built 75 feet tall and hang him on it tomorrow. Hang him tomorrow in the morning and then go to your party at night and it will be the best day ever. And Haman said, yes, that's what I'll do. And so he ordered that all through the night a gallows be built. The sound of the hammer and the nail and throughout the night. Maybe they built it on a wall, we don't know, but 75 feet up in the air. And don't imagine a rope with a noose. That's not the way they hung people back then. What they would do is they would kill you, 
and then they would impale you on a giant stake to show off your dead body to the city. They would hang him on the stake after they've killed him. Mordecai didn't know that he would die tomorrow. So Haman slept well that night, knowing that his plot tomorrow would come to pass. But the Bible says the king that night couldn't sleep. The king couldn't sleep. He was restless. He was bothered. Perhaps the context indicates he was afraid. Um, He couldn't sleep. He awoke troubled and distressed. I can't sleep. I can't sleep. He's pacing around. And so he brought the records of the friends of the king to be read to him. This is maybe indicating that he feared there was perhaps some plot against him. And as a king so influential in this empire, even in his sleep someone could kill him. And that's how kings in, in the empire were killed. He couldn't sleep. Bring, bring, bring to me this record. Tell me of the people who are my friends. And the record was read and the record was read and all these people who had done amazing things for the king. And, and then they stumbled upon a name. There was once a man who foiled a plot to kill you and two men were going to slay you, O king. And this man found out and saved your life. And he said, he said, what has been done for this man? And they said, nothing. We've done nothing. He said, you didn't even send a thank you card? We didn't even send a thank you card. What's this man's name? And they said, this man's name is Mordecai. He works at the gate. Well, just around that time, as the king was realizing this, Haman had woken up and and come to approach the king. He wanted to ask that Mordecai be killed. So he walked up to the king. He said, oh, king, I have something I want to ask you. The king said, oh, hold on, Mordecai. Hold on, Haman, There's, there's just something I wanted to ask you first. He said, there's this guy in my kingdom who is like greater than all the other guys to me right now. I mean, there's this guy in the kingdom who I want to honor. And I mean, I want to go all out to honor this guy. And, and, and I'm just kind of right now trying to figure out how I could honor this one guy in the whole kingdom who I think is really something big. And guess who Haman was thinking the king was talking about? Well, of course, who else would he be talking about? He's talking about me. Oh, this is amazing. It's going to be even better than the best day ever. The king is asking me how I want to be honored by him. The king said, what do you think? And Haman said, oh, king, first, let a robe be brought, one of your own robes, one of your best robes, a robe that you've worn, and let it, let it be put on this man. And, and then have a, a gold chain necklace be brought and, and, and put that on him and even put a crown on his head, oh, Lord. And then, and then bring one of your own horses that, that, that you've rode and bring it and put him on it. And then have one of your highest servants lead him up and down all the streets of the city, shouting out in a loud voice, Thus shall be done to the man the king delights to honor. King, let that be done to the man who you delight to honor. And the king said, Yes, yes, Haman, do it. Do it now. Go and do it. For Mordecai. And the king said, Oh, 
And don't leave anything out of what you have just said. And so Haman took a few steps back and said, yes, your majesty. And then he went out and he found Mordecai. And he put the robe on him. And then he put the necklace on him. And then he put the crown on him. And then he got the king's horse and he helped him up. And then he walked him up and down every street of the city, saying, Thus shall be done to the man the king delights to honor. And the Bible doesn't record this, but Mordecai sitting up upon this horse at one point looked down and said, Boom. (laughs) Up and down the streets they went, and in a loud voice Haman had to declare, Behold, the man the king delights to honor. Well, when it was over, Haman went home and he wept and he was humiliated. He said, honey, you will not believe what happened. I had to lead him all the way up and down. I think I'm going to throw up. And I thought the king was going to give me the crown, but he didn't give me the crown. And, then... and the king was just beginning to honor Mordecai. We don't know what position he had in mind. And, and Haman's wife said, if, if this is the beginning of Mordecai being honored, this is going to be your undoing. He's Jewish and, and he's going to get power and... and but just as they were figuring this out, a servant showed up and said, Haman, let's go. You've got to go to the banquet. Esther's banquet is ready. Oh, I've got to go to the banquet. He got dressed and they went off. So they went to the banquet. And there they were sitting and eating. And it was the king and Esther and Haman. Haman was distracted and the king was loving it and eating and relaxing. And, and they were full. They were, and the king said, Esther, Esther, what is it? Why is it that you called me? What, what do you want? And Haman was curious too. He, even though he had his own problems, he was, what is it that Esther wants? And, and so Esther finally said it. She said, okay, I'll tell you. She had the king's full attention. She said, oh king, if I have found favor in your sight, there's only one thing I want. My request is that you spare my life from execution. Save me from death, O king, me and my people. All I ask for is my life. And the king, the king said, who is he? And who has dared to do this to my queen? Who are you talking about? And Esther said, this wicked Haman. And Haman's eyes grew large and he looked. And it hit him for the first time that Esther was an Israelite. And she said, he's the one who's putting me to death. And Haman realized he had issued the execution of the queen. And he had actually manipulated at the king's pen. To, to fund and initiate the death of the... This is government-subsidized assassination of the First Lady. And Haman was horrified and terrified, and the king rose up in a, ra- in a rage. And he didn't know what to do, and so he walked out. He stormed out in anger. And he started pacing the court, trying to figure out what to do. And Esther, it says, was reclining on a couch, and Haman... 
Amon's shaking. Oh, Esther, oh, queen, I didn't, I didn't mean it. I'm not that bad of a guy. I was, I said, he, it says he began to plead and to beg for, for his life. Oh, don't just, but please, I didn't know what I was, and it's, he was a little tipsy. And so the Bible says, however it happened, as he, in grief and agony, and, and walked over to her, he accidentally tripped, and somehow he stumbled, and it, the Bible says he landed right on her on the couch as the king walked back in. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do with him. What is this? And the Bible says that when the king saw Haman on his wife, he said, will he even molest the queen in my own house? And, and before the words left his mouth, the Bible says the servants rushed Haman and put a bag over his head and dragged him away. And then one of the servants said, oh, king, that's not even the only thing. Not only has he done this to your queen, but we realized that he had ordered a gallows to be built 75 feet tall because he wanted to kill Mordecai, the man the king desired to honor this morning. And the king, in final fury with not realizing all that Haman had done said, kill him and hang him on the gallows he built. And so they killed him. And so they took Haman to the gallows he built, 75 feet tall in front of his own house, and displayed his corpse to the entire city. Everything Haman was plotting fell back on his own head. And the king gave... Esther and gave Mordecai the authority to send out another edict to the whole empire and to say on that day when the Israelites were supposed to be executed, the armies of my kingdom are now going to rise up with you and you have permission to overthrow all of your enemies. And so when that day came, 75,000 enemies of the Jews were done away with across the whole empire. Starting from the capital city, God had raised up someone to serve his purpose, to save his people from annihilation. And then across the land, because of her obedience and courage and faithfulness, the Jews were protected by the Lord. What an amazing story. And the question is, what does this teach us about how God can use us? Well, there's four things that we can walk away with from this story as you desire to be used by the Lord, as you desire to see him do astonishing things through your life, understand that God can use you. Esther was an orphan. She was a foreigner. She was a captive. She was unworthy. She was, she was female in a time when they didn't have many rights. Or, she had so many things stacked against her, and yet God could use her to save all of his people. So God can use you. But the first thing we learn from Esther is this. Jot this down. Watch for opportunities. Watch for opportunities. Mordecai had to come and say to Esther, what if you were put in this position for such a time as this? He had to help her see there was an opportunity set before her. This assignment had her name written on the top of it and God gave it to her. This is what she was made for. This is what she was here for. And this is why she was in that point in her life. I think that helps us to understand if you're asking yourself, man, my family's really weird. I don't know why I'm in this family. I wish I had a better family. Hey, God put you in that family. You're God's ambassador to that family. I don't know why I'm even working here. I work with a bunch of morons. All these people. I don't even, well, hey, God put you there. Hey, you're his ambassador there. This street, my street's weird. 
I don't like my neighbors. They're annoying. They do crazy things. I don't even know why we live on this. Hey, God put you there. You're his ambassador there. He's got work for you to do there. But are you watching? Are you watching? Watch for opportunities. God wants you to act. He wants you to have a heavenly perspective as you see all of your interactions, everything in your life. There's work God has for me to do here. In your church, in your church, God has you here for a reason. But are you watching for the place where you're going to have an opportunity? Second, jot this down, watch for opportunities. Second, make great sacrifices. Make great sacrifices. Boy, I sure do, God. I sure do want God to use me. I want him to do amazing things through me, <laughs> said you from your easy chair with your bag of chips in hand. God, just use me to do something. <laughs> I ain't getting up off the couch, but use me. You have to be willing to make great sacrifices to be useful to the Lord. You see, you've got to be watching, but you have to also be making sacrifices to the Lord or God can't use you. Sacrifice what? Well, when you look at Esther's life, she sacrificed time. She dedicated time to prayer and fasting. She got others to pray and fast. She devoted significant time to the devotion to her Lord. And uh, do you understand that you know, when you have a regular quiet time, a devotion time to the Lord, you're setting yourself apart to be useful to Him. Lord, get me ready. I want to be a vessel useful to you. I want to be in a really good place with you. I, but, but see, if you're unplugged from that, God doesn't have that daily time of preparation to prepare you to be His useful instrument to others. So Esther set aside time. She sacrificed time to pray and to fast. She also sacrificed treasure. She was willing to let go of her possessions if it gave her an opportunity to serve the Lord's purpose. And listen, I don't know what your net worth is. God does. I don't know what it would mean if you let it go to serve God's purpose. But let's just say behind Esther and her net worth was a palace, was a wardrobe with only designer gowns, was a fortune, was the esteem of every woman in the land. And she opened her hand and said, if serving God's purpose means I lose all of it, so be it. And you see, part of discipleship with Christ is understanding that when he's Lord, he's Lord over everything in your life, not parts, all. And it's not at just times in your life where you have to let it go for a second. He wants you to live with an open hand, releasing everything into his lordship. Lord, anything you ask, I will do. Anything you want, I will give. Anywhere you desire, I will go. Fully surrendered. That's God's plan for every disciple to get to that point. Now, he doesn't come to every person and say, you know, like the rich young ruler, well, sell everything you have and follow me. He doesn't make that demand on everyone. But on Esther, it could have cost her everything. Hey, are you sacrificing your time to the Lord? Are you sacrificing your treasure to the Lord? I could share so many stories with you of people within the kingdom of God who saw a need and financially met that need and funded that missionary or helped that seminary student or <laughs> followed that crazy church planner in the Payless Hills who had nobody. At, like, crazy stuff, but God's doing something here. And you know what? I'm going to support it. And man, what comes of that? Making great sacrifices. Sacrifice your time, your treasure, and sacrifice your talent. Are you willing to work for Christ? To work for Christ. Um, it's primarily at your church that God wants you to serve his purpose, right? And we've seen through this Old Testament study that people who are faithful in small things, David, 
He did a really good job watching the sheep. I'm a, I'm a good sheep watcher. God's like, king! See, and if you're faithful with few things, the Lord then gives you more. And, and if you're faithful with small roles of service in the church, then you prepare for greater roles of service in the church. And I'd just like to challenge you to work for Christ, to carve out time throughout your week to serve a purpose here, to get on a ministry, to do something, to carry weekly kingdom weight. I've got stories of things God did in the parking lot of our church, conversations that happened, in the foyer, in the children's ministry, youth ministry Sunday night. But listen, it's because somebody decided I'm going to serve the Lord's purpose in that ministry. And then God used them. Are you working for Christ? The truth is, if you're not available to the Lord, if you're not sacrificial to the Lord's purposes, if you're not putting effort into some form of ministry, then God can't use you. God can't use you. Maybe incidentally, accidentally, you're in the right place at the right time, but he's not going to have a sustained ministry through you to others if you're just not available to him. So watch for opportunities. Make great sacrifices, number three. Then you've got to believe that the impossible is possible with God. Believe that the impossible is possible with God. It's huge to understand that there were certain things that Esther had to do, but there were certain things only God could do. There's going to be things that it's your responsibility, right? Esther had to go to the king. God wasn't going to do that for her. But she got all dressed up. She went about it slowly. She was so wise, right? There were things that Esther had to do. She had to have the courage to go. She had to do it in a wise way. She was incredibly prayerful because she knew there were things only God could do. Only God could disturb the sleep of the king on the very night that the gallows were being built for Mordecai's execution. Esther couldn't do that. God had to do that. Only God could map this entire scenario out so that at the end of it all, Haman's plan fell back on his own head. Only God could do that. Esther couldn't map out Haman getting killed on his own property by his own gallows. God had to do that. There were things God had to do. Esther couldn't get Mordecai promoted. God had to do that. And listen, there's going to be your part. There's going to be your part. Okay? The bottom line is, if right now none of our children's ministry workers showed up, okay, God's not going to come down and watch the babies. That's not God's part. That's your part. And as we do our part, guess what then? There's going to be things only God can do that He shows up and He does through us as we're available to Him. But you have to believe the impossible is possible with God. It's going to be risky when God makes it clear to you that he wants you to talk to that person, when he wants you to give to that cause, when he wants you to join that ministry team. It's going to be risky. I don't know how this is going to go. This doesn't really look good on paper. I don't think this conversation is risk, 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 risk. But that's good. That's good. Watch for opportunities. Make great sacrifices. Believe the impossible is possible with God. And then number four, God's fingerprints will be everywhere. God's fingerprints will be everywhere. One of the most profound observations of the entire book of Esther is this. The word God appears nowhere in it. The word God is not even written in the book of Esther. This is not one of those stories where God tears open the heavens and comes down and sends an angel and, and lightning. You know what you see of God in the story of Esther? Nothing. Nothing. 
The girl's going to save all of your people and you don't even send an angel to encourage her the night before? No. And I don't know, I don't know what's more impressive. If God does the supernatural and he sends the messenger or he booms with a voice from heaven or, you know, there's like this pillar of fire or, or if at the end of a story you look back and you see that he bent everything in this entire, he moved, he moved everything and, and, and in your life and choreographed the whole thing and did something unexplainable in a way where you couldn't detect him at all. I don't know about you, but I think that's more impressive than when he does something blatant and supernatural and obvious. You don't see it when you're in the middle of it. But when it's all done and you look back, you're like, whoa, God wove that whole thing. Like, how did he do that? Like, like he shot an arrow through three swinging hoops and, and then like nailed a little apple on an ant's head. Boom! Like he nailed it. How did he do that? It's called God's providence. And it's those moments that affirm for you that even when your life feels like it's out of control, even when God feels like he's so far away, even when it feels like it's all up to you, he's in total control of everything, every moment. God's fingerprints will be everywhere. If you believe the impossible is possible with God and you make great sacrifices and you watch for opportunities, listen, he will use you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the story of Esther. Thank you for her faith. Thank you for her courage. Thank you that she's just so ordinary. She didn't truly have a chance to win that contest unless you worked it all out. Thank you that you raised her up to that position of prominence. Thank you that she was willing to lay down her entire crown, everything that, she, everything that every girl could hope for to serve your purpose. Father, may we learn sacrifice from her. May we learn dedication from her and faith from her and prayer from her. And I just pray that as you fill us with confidence that you will do work through us. We are useful to you and you will use us. Lord, give us that faith. Show us your fingerprints everywhere in our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.